Chapter 67 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rucker, January 4, 2022, Westford, Massachusetts. Consuelo by Georges Sand. Chapter 67. When the young people had made a more ample acquaintance by discussing on each side in friendly chat the details of their situation, they thought of the precautions and arrangements necessary for their journey to Vienna. The first thing they did was to take out their purses and count their money. Consuela was still the richer of the two, but their united funds would only furnish means sufficient to enable them to travel agreeably on foot, without suffering from hunger or sleeping in the open air. They could not hope for anything better, and Consuelo had already made up her mind to it. Still, notwithstanding the philosophical gaiety she manifested on this subject, Joseph was anxious and thoughtful. What is the matter with you, said she? Perhaps you are afraid of my company proving an embarrassment to you, and yet I will wager that I can walk better than you. You ought to do everything better than I, replied he. It is not that which troubles me, but I am sorry and even frightened when I think how young and handsome you are and how every one must admire you that sees you, while I am so mean and little that though I were resolved to die for you a thousand times, my strength would not suffice for your protection. What are you thinking of, my poor child? Do you suppose that even if I were handsome enough to attract the attention of the passers-by, a woman who respects herself does not know always how to repel? Ugly or handsome, faded or young, bold or modest, you would not be safe on these roads, covered as they are with disbanded soldiers and scoundrels of every description. Since the peace, the country swarms with soldiers returning to their garrisons, and especially with licensed volunteers, who in order to increase their means pillage travelers, put whole districts under a contribution, and treat the country as a conquered land. I am thinking seriously of changing our route, and in place of going by Pisek or Budweiss, fortified towns and consequently frequented by all sorts of military stragglers and others not much better, of descending the course of the Moldau and keeping in the gorges of the almost deserted mountains where cupidity and rascality find nothing to attract them, proceed along the bank of the river as far as Rochenau, and enter Austria by Freistadt. Once there, we shall be under the protection of a better police than exists in Bohemia. You know this road, then? I do not even know if there be one, but I have a small map in my pocket, for I took it into my head on leaving Pilsen to try and return by the mountains, so as to see a little of the country. It seems a good idea, said Consuelo, looking at the map. There are footpaths everywhere and cabins for the reception of those whose means are slender. I see here, in fact, a chain of mountains which extend to the source of the Moldau and which border the river. It is the great Bohemer Wald, which contains the highest mountains in the range and serves as a boundary between Bavaria and Bohemia. 
we can easily reach it, and by keeping on the heights can always ascertain the valleys which lead down to the two provinces. Since, heaven be thanked, I have no longer to deal with this hidden castle of the giants, I am certain of guiding you aright, and not taking a longer route than is needful. Let us set out then, said Consuelo. I feel perfectly refreshed. My sleep and your good bread have restored my strength, and I can accomplish at least ten miles today. Besides, I am anxious to leave this neighborhood, where I expect every instant to meet someone who knows me. Stop, said Joseph. A strange idea occurs to me. What is it? If you did not object to put on man's attire, you could then preserve your incognito perfect, and you would escape all the disagreeable consequences which might result from seeing a young girl traveling alone with a youth. It is not a bad idea, but you forget our scanty means. Besides, where could I find clothes that would fit me? Listen, I should not have proposed this step if I had not the means of putting it in execution. We are precisely the same height, which is more honorable to you than me, and I have in my bag an entire suit of clothes, perfectly new, which will disguise you completely. The reason I happen to have them is that they are a present from my good mother, who thought they would be useful to me when going to the embassy, and giving lessons to young ladies. They were made by the village tailor, and certainly the costume is sufficiently picturesque, and the materials well selected, as you may see. But imagine the sensation I would have produced at the embassy, and the wicked laughter of Metastasio's niece, if I had appeared in this rustic doublet, and puffed out pantaloons. I thanked my poor mother, but promised to myself that I would sell the dress to some peasant or strolling actor. This is how I happen to have the suit with me. But fortunately, as it has turned out, I was unable to get rid of it. The people here have an idea that it is some old Polish or Turkish fashion. Well, the opportunity of doing so has arrived at last, said Consuelo laughing. Your idea is an excellent one, and the traveling actress will be content with your Turkish dress, which is not very unlike a petticoat. I shall take it on credit, or rather on condition, that you will take charge of our strong box, as Frederick of Prussia used to call it, and advance the needful funds until we reach Vienna. We shall see about that said Joseph, putting the purse into his pocket, firmly resolved not to let her pay. In the meantime, we must see if the dress fits you. I shall take myself off to the wood, and you will find many a spacious secluded boudoir among these rocks. Enter upon the stage, replied Consuelo, pointing toward the forest, while I retire behind the scenes. She hastened behind the rocks and proceeded to transform herself, while her respectful companion removed to a distance. The fountain served her as a mirror, and it was not without pleasure that she saw herself converted into the prettiest little peasant that the Slavonic race ever produced. Her slender and agile figure was encircled by a large woolen belt, 
Her ankles, slender as those of a roe, appeared below the heavy folds of her Turkish pantaloons, and her dark hair, in which she had never worn powder, had been cropped short during her illness and curled naturally about her face. She ran her fingers through it in order to give it the rustic negligence becoming a young shepherd. She wore her costume with theatrical grace and assuming, thanks to her mimic talents, an air of rustic simplicity. She found herself so completely disguised that on the instant a sense of courage and security returned, and as it happens to actors when they have donned their costume to appear on the stage, she identified herself with her part so thoroughly as to experience all the careless freedom and innocent gaiety of a schoolboy playing truant in the woods. She had to whistle three times before Hayden, who had withdrawn further than was necessary into the wood, either to testify his respect or to escape the temptation of turning his eyes toward the openings in the rocks, returned to her. He uttered a cry of surprise and admiration on seeing her, and although he had expected to find her completely disguised, could hardly believe his eyes. The transformation became Consuelo prodigiously and at the same time gave an entirely different turn to the young man's imagination. The kind of pleasure which the beauty of a woman produces on an adolescent is always mingled with fear, and the dress that makes her, even in the eyes of the most daring, a being so veiled and so mysterious, has much to do with this feeling of agitation and disquietude. But the change of costume, which was so completely successful as to seem a real change of sex, suddenly changed also the disposition of the young man's mind. He no longer apparently felt anything more than that warm and brotherly attachment which springs up between two travelers of kindred feelings and sentiments. The same desire to travel and see the country, the same security as to the dangers of the road, and the same sympathizing gaiety which animated Consuelo at this instant took possession of him also and they began their journey through the wood and meadow as gay and joyous as two birds of passage. However, after proceeding a few steps, he forgot that she was a boy on seeing her carry over her shoulder on the end of a stick her little packet, now enlarged by the addition of her own dress. A dispute arose between them on this point. Consuelo affirmed that with his bag, his violin, and the music of the gratis ad parnassum, he was sufficiently burdened, while Joseph, on his side, declared that he would put Consuelo's packet in his bag and that she should carry nothing. She had to yield the point, but in order that she might seem the character which she assumed, as well as to keep up an appearance of equality between them, he allowed her to carry the violin. You know, said Consuelo in order to induce him to submit, that I must be your servant, or at least your guide, because I am plainly a peasant, while you are a citizen. What? A citizen? replied Hayden, laughing. I dare say I have something the cut of Keller's apprentice. But the good youth felt a little mortified in not being able to appear before Consuelo in better trim than was possible from the state of his clothes, faded by the sun and somewhat the worse of the wear. No, said Consuelo in order to relieve his mind, 
You are the prodigal son returning to the paternal home with the gardener's boy, the companion of his rambles. I believe we had better assume the parts appropriate to our situation, replied Joseph. We can only pass for what we really are, poor wandering artists. We might even say, if we are questioned, that we have been making a professional tour. I can speak of the celebrated village of Roran, which nobody knows, and of the grand city of Hamburg, about which nobody cares. As for you, your pretty accent will betray you, and you had better not deny that you are an Italian and a singer by profession. By the by, we must have suitable names. Yours is quite new to me. I should conformably to my Italian manners call you Beppo. It is a contraction of Joseph. Call me what you will. I shall be equally unknown by one name as by another. It is quite different with you. You must positively have a name. What do you choose? The first short Venetian name that occurs, Nello, Maso, Renzo, Zotto. Oh, not that, she exclaimed, after having uttered involuntarily the childish abbreviation of Anzaletto. Why not, replied Joseph, who observed her hasty exclamation. It would be an unlucky one. They say there are such names. Well, then, what shall we call you? Bertoni. That is an Italian name. And a kind of diminutive of Albert. Il Signor Bertoni. That sounds well, said Joseph, trying to smile. But this indication of Consuelo's regard for her noble betrothed struck a dagger to his heart. He watched her as she bounded before him, as light and agile as a young fawn. By the by, he said to himself, by the way of comfort, I forgot he was a boy. End of chapter 67